It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 931 931- one three eight one four five six seven or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com we hope you'll take out your bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of god's word on this edition of the virtual bible study welcome to the virtual bible study we're glad you're part of it tonight we hope you'll stay tuned this is the virtual bible study or what is today, the 28th of June, and uh, so we're glad you're here. The My, day's almost over, Jacob, and you're not up on the day yet. I guess so, yeah, I guess I have to hurry up and catch up, and uh, we're, we hope that you'll stay tuned tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, good to be with you, as always, for our Thursday night Bible study on the virtual Bible study. All right, and also joining us here, uh, an elder here at the congregation, Arthur Haynes is here. Hello, Arthur. Hello, Jacob. Glad to be with you. Enjoy the virtual Bible study very much. Well, we're glad that you're here tonight. We had an interesting discussion last week, Dad, on an important subject that we believe is important for our salvation, that being baptism. We want to talk about another subject that's closely related tonight, another subject that's important and required in order to be pleasing to God. You know, the topic that we've chosen sort of as a theme, and we want to get our listeners to participate in discussing the subject of repentance. You know, I think that may be a thing that a lot of people take for granted. Uh, If you were to ask most people... Do you have to repent? My guess is that most people would say yes, but I'm not sure that everybody, uh, certainly not everybody in the religious world at least, has taken time to seriously think about what repentance is, what's involved, how one does it. It is absolutely a necessary thing, and I've just got a list of verses just to stress the importance of repentance It might go through a few of those. Matthew 3, verse 2, Jesus said, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is is at hand. That was a part of his preaching. In Mark 1, 15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Obviously, these were things preceding the establishment of the church and the preaching of the gospel on the day of Pentecost. Matthew 4, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark 6, verse 12, they went out and preached that men should repent. And then when the gospel was preached on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, verse 37 and 38, the uh, the apostles were asked, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so repentance is necessary for the remission of sins. Acts 3, verse 19, repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Acts 17, verse 30, and the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And that's just sort of a a sampling, and we could multiply the verses that stress the need for repentance. And so the very first and simple observation we would make about this subject is, if you want to please God... If you want to have your sins forgiven, and if you want to go to heaven when this life is over, you better understand what repentance is all about, and you better do it. All right. We want your comments about repentance on the program tonight. Do you believe it's something that's easily done or something that's difficult? Do you believe it is overlooked in the religious world today? The number you can call to participate on the phones is 877-381-4567, toll free, 877 
281-4567. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com. We're looking forward to your interaction on the program tonight. This is a listener participation program. We all benefit from your comments via the phone or via email. We hope you'll take a minute to join us on the virtual Bible study tonight. You know, Jacob, it'd be good. Uh, maybe some of our listeners would like to uh, uh, let us know what they perceive as some of the misconceptions about repentance. And I think there are a lot of them. A, a lot of a lot of people maybe not only don't understand what repent true repentance is, but have some misconceptions as to what's involved in repentance. And maybe you could give us some insights as to things you've heard. Uh, maybe in discussions with people, maybe some things that you have seen uh, as indications of the fact that people are not properly understanding this important Bible theme. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Again, we're looking forward to your participation on the program tonight. Dad, you know, we talked about baptism last week on the virtual Bible study. If you missed the program last week, we encourage you to go back and listen to it in our archives. But we talked about baptism, Dad. A lot of people ridicule us when we say that baptism is required for salvation. It clearly is taught that baptism is required for salvation. It's also taught very clearly that repentance is required for salvation. You know, a lot of people who would say that baptism is not required would admit that repentance is and, uh, you know, they teach us that we're saved by faith only, but yet you have to repent. Seems like a contradiction on their part. I think that's right. If, 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 uh, the, the faith only people would have to take the position that once you believe, that's all, and you wouldn't have to repent. But most of the ones I've studied with would say, yes, you have to believe, but you also have to repent. They would also say you also have to confess. And so that's a little bit of an inconsistency. But I tell you, somebody who doesn't believe that repentance is required would be the universalist, the person who says that God will just save everyone, that all will be saved. God's a great, loving God, and he is He is so loving that he could never bring himself to punish anyone. And that being the case, just everyone will be saved. And that being the case, you don't even have to repent. And you can continue in your sins, and you you don't have to change anything about your life, and you can just go on. Uh, as you are, and so uh, th- that would be at least one class of people who denies even the necessity of repentance. Isn't that uh, also reflected in the "Come as You Are" movement, and uh, that's popular in some of the uh, more charismatic groups, Dad, where uh, they teach you, you know, just come like you are. You don't have. There's nothing that you have to worry about changing. God loves you the way that you are, and uh, there's no reason to change. Yeah, that's that's really a popular uh, idea. You know, uh, um, the um the, the sort of the community church movement is is telling us that you know you can continue in certain lifestyles for instance the community church movement typically accepts the homosexuals in their lifestyle and you can just continue being a homosexual you don't have to change you don't have to do anything different of course that would go to the question as to whether or not the bible condemns homosexuality and by the way jacob we're trying to get uh, someone from a community church-type organization to join us on a future program of the Virtual Bible Study to discuss that very topic. But they're just people who just don't understand the need for repentance and the scope of it and how it is accomplished. And so that, that I think it's uh, worth discussing tonight. All right, 877-381-4567 again, questions at collegeview.com. We're looking forward to your thoughts on repentance. It is required, Arthur. And we need to understand that. And, uh, you know, baptism really is a lot easier command to comply with than the idea of repentance. Repentance uh, is going to take some uh, sacrifice on our part. You know, yes, Jacob, that's very true. I was 
looking at the verse here in uh, Acts, the 26th chapter, uh, well, beginning, uh, well, up in verse 15, uh, where Paul was rehearsing some of the things that had taken place when he was struck down by the bright light, uh, when Christ had approached him and uh, he had, uh, was talking to Agrippa about that. And he said, Wherefore, whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient this heavenly vision, but showed first unto the, them of Damascus and Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of Judea and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. One of the better descriptions of what one must do or what's involved in repenting. Certainly. We got an email coming in, Jacob, from Don, and uh, he makes this comment. He says, There are some who think of repentance as simply walking up the aisle to the preacher or asking the preacher to come to the house or sickbed. Some refer to it as going up. And when someone mentions that he or she has repented, but if it didn't involve going up, it didn't count. Now, where is the scriptural basis for this attitude? Well, in answer to that last part, the scriptural basis for that attitude, I think, doesn't exist. I don't know anywhere in the scriptures where it, it mentions anything at all about going up or marching up an aisle. Uh, now, there is the sense that in, in which for those who are already Christians, that we are to confess our sins. You know, sometimes people confuse confession confession of sins and repentance. Uh, for, for the person who's already a Christian... Once we sin, uh, for instance, in 1 John chapter 1, in 1 John chapter 1, John said, let me get over there and I'll, I'll read it to you. Um, John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so here it talks about confessing sin. Now, this is a subject probably we need to explain. This is not addressed to alien sinners. If you're an alien sinner and you're, and you're coming uh, to the Lord in obedience to the gospel plan of salvation, you don't have to confess all of your past sins. The, the very fact that you acknowledge that you need salvation is, is, is enough. And, but this is addressed to Christians, it's, and it's speaking about confessing our sins once we are Christians and asking for continued uh, forgiveness. Uh, in James chapter 5, at verse 16, James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray ye one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So there again is another passage addressed to those who are already Christians, and it says that we're supposed to confess our faults one to another. So there is the sense in which we're supposed to confess our public sins. In other words, if I've gone out and publicly sinned in such fashion to bring reproach upon God and his people, then I need to confess that openly and and in the process of seeking forgiveness. But uh, even at that, that does not require necessarily. It could be done by going up the aisle uh, at the at the end of a service. That sometimes we refer to it as the invitation song. I might go forward and and ask the congregation to pray on my behalf as I confess and acknowledge the sins that I have committed. But that, that's even that process is not spelled out in the scripture, and there might be many ways that a person would choose to handle that confession of sins. But as Don here has described, going up, uh, 
and and uh, again the Bible doesn't teach that but I do think sometimes people uh, uh, confuse repentance and confession I've even heard people say oh he went forward and repented no he may have gone forward and confessed repentance takes place in the heart repentance doesn't take place when I march forward and take a seat on the front row now that may that may be I may go forward to confess my sins but the repentance takes place in the heart all right. Thank you for your email tonight, Don. Thank you for listening. I want to ask Don a question. You know, Dad, last week Don was uh, was asking us questions about baptism. Don made it clear that he didn't believe baptism is required in order to be saved. I want to know about repentance. Is repentance required in order to be saved? Pre- appreciate it, Don, if you'd, uh, if you'd email us your thoughts on that. Uh, just interested to know where you stand on that. Are we saved by faith without works? No, no uh, obedience required? And if so... Repentance wouldn't be required either. If baptism is not required, would repentance be required? Looking forward to hearing from you on that. Any of our listeners could comment on that as well. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com as we talk about repentance. It is required in order to be saved. Luke 13, verse 3, Dad, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. If we don't get this down, if we don't understand what is required in order to be pleasing to God through repenting, then we're going to perish, Jesus said as much. We'll take our first break, and when we come back, we'll look forward to hearing from you. Again, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We'll continue right after this. Have you checked out all of the resources on collegeview.com lately? Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. Do you remember when elders, deacons, preachers, Bible class teachers, and all church members had a strong commitment to the Word? Do you recall when you could always count on book, chapter, and verse preaching from the pulpit? Can you think back to a time when Christians were known as people of the book because they knew their Bible so well? The College View Church is still trying to be a church like the church you read about in the Bible, and they're still doing the same things that you remember from way back when. Are you longing for a return to the way things used to be? Come and visit. See for yourself at the College View Church of Christ. I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the virtual Bible study. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The virtual Bible study continues. And we're back, and we're live. Looking forward to hearing from you. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. What about repentance? It's clear from the scriptures that we must repent. We can't go on living a sinful life, Dad, when we have sinned, we need to repent, turn from that, and be uh, living a life that's pleasing to God. We suggested that some people have got some misconceptions or some wrong ideas about what repentance is. And one of those that we might mention is some people might have the idea that uh, that repentance is merely covering up sins. In other words, if I, if I can kind of keep it on the, on the down low, kind of keep it quiet so nobody really knows about my sins, sort of cover up my sins, sweep them under the rug, uh, you know, deal with them in that fashion. That's not repentance. Proverbs 28:13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And so just this idea that maybe I could sweep it under the rug and nobody will know, and maybe over the course of time it will sort of fade away and people will forget that it even happened. That sort of effort to deal with sins is not repentance, and it won't get the job done, and we won't be forgiven. Well, that's true, and I guess it goes back to the idea, Dad, that you could somehow hide something from God or he would overlook it over time. We're we're dealing with an almighty God, an omniscient God, 
who doesn't forget uh, our iniquities, uh, and he will see the evil deeds that we do. Proverbs 15, verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good, Proverbs 15, verse 3. So there's no hiding it from God. And if we have the idea and the concept that we could just sort of cover over or hide our sin, we need to think again. I think Hebrews 4, verse 13 says that uh, everything is naked and open uh, to to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So God knows everything. We're not going to be able to sweep anything under the rug and deal with it that way. So that's not repentance. It's also not repentance just to admit that you're a sinner. You know, every once in a while, uh, Arthur, you've probably had the experience of hearing someone say, oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm one of the worst. I'm one of the worst sinners mm-hmm. you ever saw. And they almost speak of it as though they're proud about it. Mm-hmm. That they, 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 they sort of act as though it's something to brag about how bad a sinner they are. Right. They just don't realize really it's the significance of such a thing and don't take it seriously. What's it amount yeah, to? That's really? right. That That's yeah. a real indication that they don't, yeah. no, they don't sense the seriousness of the matter if they would even make light or brag about the fact that they're a sinner. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, we had the we had the example of, of Pharaoh when Moses went uh, uh, and was seeking the deliverance of the children of Israel. And as the p- various plagues were coming upon uh, the Egyptians, Pharaoh sent. This is Exodus nine twenty seven. Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, "I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and I and my people are wicked." But you know, if you look at that, he said it there, but it didn't change his course. And he kept right on resisting God and resisting the will of God. And so he acknowledged that he was sinning. He admitted it. Maybe it, some sorrow there, too. But it didn't change yeah. him. And that was the key. You know, you, the, the common term for living together and among people of the world, what do they call it? They call it living in sin. You ever heard them refer to yeah. that or just living in sin? That's what people of the world do. So if that was all that would be required, they'd be okay with God. You know, God would be okay with them if they just admitted yeah, I've that. had people say, well, I know we're living in sin. But they don't change. They don't stop living in sin. They keep right on. So they they acknowledge it. They admit it. So just acknowledging your sin without a change is not, surely not repentance. All right. And Arthur, you mentioned something that we need to comment about, that that repentance is more than just being sorry that you've sinned. That's exactly right. Well, we have that recorded in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 7. He said, Now rejoice not that you were sorrow, but that you sorrowed to repentance, for you may sorrow after a godly manner, that you might receive damage by us and nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to repent it of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. So what he's talking about there, it's godly sorrow. It's sorrow that we sinned is uh, what repentance is, and, and our being sorry for the wrong we've done will cause us to have a change of attitude, a change of life, uh, in order that we uh, will have truly repented. But just being sorry is not going to get... You know, I've often used the illustration of, of uh, prisoners in a, in a jail. If you were to go to a penitentiary tonight and, and take a poll, how many people here are sorry well, they're all sorry for something. At the very least, they're sorry they got caught, but they haven't repented, which is proved by the fact that statistically, uh, well over 90% of them will go back and do the same things again when they're let out of prison. They haven't changed. There's not any change, but they're sorry, but they haven't changed. Um, in Mark chapter 6, we have a Bible example of someone who was sorry but didn't repent. This is the case of King Herod. Uh, when he had put John the Baptist in, in the, the prison, it says in 
Mark 6, beginning verse 22, and when the daughter uh, of the said Herodias, this was the woman Herod had married Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. He didn't have a right to her. John said so. He said it's not lawful for you to have her. Based upon that, he was thrown in jail. And it says the daughter of this Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him. And the king said to the damsel, ask of me whatsoever you will, and I will give it thee. Well, she conferred with her mother and her mother gave her the instruction. So she went back to King Herod and said, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger the head of John the Baptist. Notice it says the king was exceeding sorry. Yet for his oath's sake and for the sakes, uh, for their sakes which sat with him, he would not reject her. And so he was very sorry that he was going to have to have John beheaded, but it didn't change his course and he went right on, right ahead and had John beheaded. So here's a fellow who was sorry, but he didn't repent. All right. Clearly it's more than that. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. Please join in on the discussion tonight. We're waiting to hear from you. You know, another example of that would be in Matthew 27, verse 3. Judas was sorrowful. Didn't uh, change the fact that uh, that he was in error. Matthew 7, verse 23 says, And Judas, when he had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. And then the New American Standard of that, Dad, has a little bit different translation. It says he felt remorse. Yeah, so uh, that that's a, a verse worth noting that the I think the the King James version there is is not a good translation. He didn't really repent. He he was sorry. I think Judas was sorry, but he didn't really repent. All right. He, he, and, and the New American Standard there would be a better translation. All right. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven questions at collegeview dot com. Looking forward to hearing from you. We have some people that are joining in on the discussion. Look forward to getting those comments, and we'll look forward to yours as well. We're talking about repentance. We believe it's required in order to be pleasing to God. We believe it's required for salvation. A lot of people tell us that all we have to do is believe and ask Jesus into our hearts. Well, there's two things. You have to believe and ask Jesus into your heart. That's what people would say you have to do. We believe you also have to repent. And you have to be baptized. We talked about that last week on the program. We're talking about repentance this week. We've got to repent. We can't go on living a life of sin and rebellion to God. We've got to repent. We got an email come in from Mike here in Columbia, Tennessee. He says, according to the Wikipedia Encyclopedia, the word repentance is from the Greek word metaneo, uh, which is a verb, and it means to perceive afterwards. It signifies to change one's mind or purpose. It also appears in adjective and noun forms. It appears in the New Testament at least 27 times. It is found in Revelation 3.19 where Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, Those whom I love I, repute, I reprove and discipline, be zealous therefore and repent. We could say that Jesus is telling the church at Laodicea to change their mind or purpose. And I think that's what we're going to see that repentance is. I think Mike's right on track there. That repentance involves a change of heart. And then that change of heart is demonstrated or manifested in the way we live and the things that we do. And I think as we get into this topic of repentance, we begin to come to the conclusion that it's more than covering up your sins or admitting that you're a sinner or just being sorry for your sins, but it's a change of heart leading to a change of action. Um, you know, sort, sort of in summary uh, of what we were saying, uh, repentance is not 
covering up sin, admitting your sinner, being sorrowful. It's not just promising to do better. Uh, Arthur, I'm sure you've had the experiences I have had of people who maybe have been caught in sinful deeds. And when it's brought to their attention, they say, oh, oh, I promise I'm going to do better. Just making a promise to do better is not true repentance. And then, too, Greg, it might be, you know, they were just sorry they got caught. This kind of uh, sorrow he refers to, and and also in Second uh, Corinthians 7, it, he talks about it being a worldly or a, a sorrow after the world, a sorrow that I got caught. You know, man caught me, and uh, this is not the right attitude to have toward our wrongdoing. And then, too, Jacob, you were talking about Judas a while ago and. uh and saying that he had regret in what he had done or that he'd repented. But uh, you make the uh, comparison there with Peter when Peter denied the Lord the three times. Uh, yes, and you can see his attitude after that happened and, and said, And Peter remembered the words of Jesus when he said unto him, Before the cock crows twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. He had godly sorrow, and you can see it in the rest of Peter's life, that he made a change. He was a different man, and where Judas just went out and hung himself. It wasn't a change that he made that was right with God. That's right. Also, we uh, from our earlier email, uh, uh, we commented about just going forward during an invitation song. He surely not repents. I want to, before we get to this this next break, let me make a point that may sound funny or may, may sound contradictory. I guess that's probably the way I should put it. May sound contradictory at first, but repentance is not mere reformation. And here's what I mean by that. Say a guy's an atheist. He doesn't even believe in God, but he also happens to be an alcoholic. He's a, he's an atheist alcoholic. But he, he sees that, that his drinking is just ruining his life. He's got trouble in his marriage. He's, lo- he's about to lose his job. He just got all kinds of trouble because he's a drunk. And so maybe he goes to AA, goes through that 12-step process. Now, I think one of the steps in the 12-step process is you've got to admit God. <laughs> he, he skips that step. But what I'm saying is he realizes that he's got to stop drinking because it's ruining his life. And so he does. He stops drinking. So he's reformed himself, but he hasn't really repented because repent. He hasn't had a change of heart in regards to his spiritual needs and 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 desire to be saved and and to be right with God. And so you know, uh, uh, an atheist hasn't repented in the at least not in the biblical sense of repentance because it's not he hasn't turned to God. He hasn't turned from his sins. He hasn't turned to God. He may reform his life. He may do better uh, in, in something like alcoholism or something else that we might mention. But he hasn't turned to God. He hasn't had a turn change of heart to turn from his sins and turn to God. And so just a, a mere reformation of that form wouldn't wouldn't be. Uh, enough certainly to save a man from his sin all right let's take a break 877-381-4567 questions at collegeview.com see an email coming in here from don don says if you'll listen to last week's program again you'll see that i brought up the contrast between the water and spiritual birth when jesus taught nicodemus about being born again but never did i say that you don't have to be baptized to be saved to the contrary i'm very much believe in baptism how could i not believe in baptism it's in the bible so please do not put words in my mouth so, Don, apologize for that. I didn't mean to put words in your mouth. Uh, you were making an argument that many people make 
when they uh, deny that we have to be baptized in order to be saved. And so by making that argument, I assumed that you did not believe that baptism was required for salvation. So we stand corrected. Thank you, Don, for correcting us and apologize for assigning that belief to you when it is not the case. We're going to take a break. I'm sorry. I was a listener last week, and Don, I'm just as guilty because of what the wording you used. I just said, well, now he doesn't believe in baptism, so forgive me too. I was just wrong in that judgment. All right. (laughs) We appreciate you listening, Don. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Britt Haynes. I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. A lot of people in the religious world today tell us that as long as our heart is right and we truly love God, we can do whatever we want in our service to Him. They say that what we do doesn't matter because God is only interested in our heart. I believe they have it all wrong. True, God is interested in our hearts, but He's also interested in our actions. One reason why is because our actions describe the true condition of our heart. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 12, verse 34, when He said, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So I believe that if we are doing whatever we want to in our service and are not serving God exactly like He has asked, then our heart is not right before God. The members of the College View Church of Christ are committed to making sure that both our hearts and our actions are pleasing to God. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to join us for worship this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. Hi, my name is Mike Holt. My wife and I, we love listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the Virtual Bible Study. Now, back to the program. Talking about repentance on the Virtual Bible Study tonight and looking forward to your comments. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. The number is toll-free, 877-381-4567. So you have no excuse for not calling on the program tonight. We're looking forward to your participation as we talk about the important subject of repentance we believe it's required in order to be pleasing to god it's required for our salvation we've got an email that's come in from a trent who says he just tuned in says this may be off topic uh i don't know where trent's from but trent we're glad you're listening to the virtual bible study tonight Uh, he says i just tuned in and i think this is off off subject but could someone possibly comment on second chronicles chapter 30 verses 18 through 20, and how that applies to those who worship today, but not necessarily according to the rules that various, group, uh, that various groups include in worshiping in spirit and in truth. Now, we're going to be answering your question uh, here, uh, Trent, on the fly, uh, but let's see what it says in Second Corinthians, Second uh, Chronicles chapter 30, verses 18 through 20. Uh, just starting about halfway through verse 18, Hezekiah prayed for them saying, the good Lord pardon everyone that prepareth his heart to seek God, the the Lord God of his fathers, though he be not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. And the Lord hearkened to Hezekiah and healed the people. Uh, And I take it that that Trent's question is, would that indicate that people who have not obeyed God's specific laws can be pleasing to him anyway. And my, my answer my answer to that is, I don't think that verse can be used that way. We understand that in Hezekiah's day, there had been a problem with 
the the law had effectively been lost and was being restored and the people had been uninformed and this is probably an instance in which God extended a special dispensation of mercy to these people a, a grace that was manifested to them or extended to them uh but I don't think it could be used as the general rule to say that people who don't follow God's rules will be acceptable to him anyway and, you know, too, I just think and help me out on this. It just came to my mind. Uh, you know, when Christ was crucified, uh, you know, what was it that he said? You know, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. Were all these people forgiven that uh, put him to death? You know, in, in Acts 2.38, uh, there when uh, they Peter was asked, uh, or the people asked Peter, what should they do? He said, repent and be baptized. He didn't make any uh, exceptions to those that Christ had forgiven there when he hung on the cross. He just says, you to repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. So to me, when, Christ, when people were forgiven, was there on the day of Pentecost for what they'd done. Not that they were forgiven uh, there when uh, Christ uh, said, forgive them. For they know not what they do. You know, in the in the very previous chapter to the one that was mentioned in Trent's question, in chapter twenty nine, you'll read where when Hezekiah became king, they had to go in and cleanse the temple, take out pagan items, and reestablish the worship that had not been uh, properly conducted for a long time. And so, I think Hezekiah's prayer was on behalf of the people who, during this era, when the law of God had not been effectively taught or practiced, uh, he was making a prayer to them uh, that God would not hold that to their charge, that, that, that they might be forgiven, in fact, of their negligence. And so I would take this instance in the case of Hezekiah to be more of one in which he was praying that God would forgive them for, for that era in which the proper temple worship had been neglected and he was in the process of restoring it. Why would he bother to restore it if it wasn't important? If keeping the rules didn't matter, why why would he, why did Hezekiah make a point of restoring the temple worship properly? Why didn't he say, "Well, it doesn't matter. We can we can do whatever we want, however we want. Just go on and do it as you've been doing it." But he didn't do that. He restored the proper observance of the sacrifices and so forth. If you read chapters 29 and 30, he was very meticulous in getting things back into their proper order. And so I would take these verses to suggest that he was actually asking God to forgive those who during that time when they had not been following his rules, he was he was basically seeking God's mercy toward them. So Hezekiah's actions do not give a license to worship any way that you want. Instead, they would show it would be sinful to worship in a way that God hasn't prescribed, and correction needs to be made for that sin. Now, there's no account there that the people asked him to pray for them, or they that they it doesn't say that they didn't repent. And so we'd have to assume that the people just continue to worship it however they pleased, and God had just given them, uh, you know, given them a pass on that. And I think that's contrary to what the description. If God was giving them a pass, again, I would emphasize why why would Hezekiah feel compelled to make all these uh, reforms and get things back on the right track? And in two, Greg, when you think about it, 
you know, were the Levites, those that uh, performed the work there at the temple, uh, the priest, were they acceptable all these years that they hadn't uh, uh, used the temple correctly? Would they have been acceptable to God? They they had to do something there, and Hezekiah, you know, prayed for them that uh, they would be forgiven of their failure to obey God in the worship. Uh, yeah. So somewhere they had to start with correcting their wrong. You know, and that actually ties into the topic for tonight. Hezekiah... Uh, led the people to repent. They had not been worshiping God properly, and what they needed to do was stop doing the wrong things they were doing and get back to doing the right things. So they had a turning of heart, a change of heart that led them to do the right things. And that's what repentance is, a change of heart that leads to a change in action. That's what we often uh, refer to it as. And I think that perhaps uh, Trent has suggested a an example of that that we see in Old Testament times where the people found out they were doing wrong and made corrections. Trent, we hope we've uh, understood your question correctly. If we haven't, please give us an email let us know. We look forward to hearing more thoughts from you along those lines. Again, our number to call tonight is 877-381-4567. That's toll-free anywhere in the country. We're looking forward to hearing from you on the virtual Bible study on the phones or over email at questions at collegeview.com. Thank you, Trent, for listening tonight, and thank you for your participation. As we continue to think about repentance, we might go to a New Testament text that uh, I think gives us some real insights as to how repentance is supposed to work. And I have reference to Acts chapter 8 in the case of uh, Simon the Sorcerer. He was a fellow who had obeyed the gospel. He had become a Christian uh, and then sometime thereafter, it seemed, the text doesn't specify how long it was, but it seems like it was fairly shortly thereafter. In Acts chapter 8, beginning verse 18, it says, Simon, this is Simon the sorcerer, when he saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto them, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. Several things there, I think, Jacob, that we could point out concerning what was involved in this repentance of Simon the sorcerer. If he was going to be forgiven, notice he was told to repent. Well, part of, and then, of course, I think he indicates his willingness to do so by the way he responds to that instruction. But one of the necessary aspects here that he, he had to be willing to receive the instruction or, uh, that, that he was wrong. You know, if, if, if you're wrong, but you won't let anybody tell you that you're wrong, if you just sort of, uh, arch your back and refuse to accept instruction, then you're not going to be able to repent. You, you've got to be able to receive that instruction that you're wrong. And Simon the sorcerer did that. Uh, he accepted that instruction from them. You know, if we're unwilling to accept instruction, Dad, we would not understand that our sinful condition and so uh, an acceptance of the Word of God is fundamental in order to be pleasing to Him, in order to be willing to repent. We've got to accept the instructions that He's given us. 
And, you know, that does require faith on our part, Dad, and, uh, and being submissive to God's will. Yeah. And, you know, too, Greg, when you were talking about that, that you thought that Simon was receptive to what Peter had told him, and after he had gotten through with it, explaining to uh, Simon just where he was, and then he, uh, Simon answered and said, Pray the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. For, so there's no doubt that he accepted that and, and asked for prayer on his behalf. Yeah, and you notice in that he didn't quibble with the, with the description of his sin. He didn't say, now, you all wait just a minute now. I, I, you're making me sound like a pretty bad fellow, and I'm not as bad as you are indicating here. You know, they use pretty strong words when they said, uh, uh, your, heart's your, heart, not right. your heart's not right. You're in the gall of bitterness, in the bond of iniquity. You know, uh, they use some pretty strong words to rebuke him, uh, and, and he didn't quibble with that. You know, a lot of times you, you, when, when people are approached, somebody's gotten themselves into a sinful situation, and and you approach them about that, they get very resentful, and they and they don't like you know to have their sins identified, and they don't like the way that their actions are being described, and they get very defense, defensive about that. He didn't he didn't offer any resistance. He accepted their description of what he had done. And you know too, when you go back, I keep going back to Second Corinthians seven. Uh, he said, "For godly sorrow, work of repentance to salvation." Uh, when you uh, see people like what Greg has been talking about there. I don't believe they, they don't have godly sorrow. That's all it amounts to. They're not sorry that they sinned against God. They're just sorry that you explained to them what they did was wrong and they may have some regret, but they're not sorry they sinned against God because if they did, they'd have a different attitude and be willing to make that correction. Well, so we talked about faith being an integral here and being in repentance. We've got to have faith in God's instructions. We also see humility is required then, Dad, was what you're saying. If we've got to be willing to accept that uh, we're wrong, and uh, that requires some humility on our part. That's exactly right. You can't, you know, if you can't admit that you're wrong, you're never going to repent. Repentance necessarily uh, is, is based upon an acknowledgement of wrongs done. And, you know, I think, too, we would add in there that, uh, there's a fear of punishment if you don't. And Simon the Sorcerer showed that. He, he said, uh, uh, pray ye, Lord, for me that none of those things which you have spoken come upon me. Uh, you know, he, he realized that he stood in a position to be punished, and he was afraid of that. And, and fear of punishment would go into what leads one to true repentance. And then, of course, he, he asked them to pray for him. So, you know, prayer would be a, a, a sign of true repentance. If true, true repentance uh, uh, is, is in evidence, then we'll be praying and seek, maybe perhaps even seeking the prayers of others uh, in regards to that. So Simon the Sorcerer's case is a good one to show here's a Christian who sinned, and when he sinned, what happened? Well, he was told, uh, and he accepted the instruction. He didn't quibble about it. He didn't try to rephrase it or reword it. He didn't try to tone it down by calling it something different. He was clearly afraid that of what would happen if he didn't uh, obtain forgiveness of this sin, and he quickly requested prayers on his behalf. Simon's case there is a good case study in what true repentance involves. What about this fear, Arthur? Let me ask you about that. He feared and... Uh 
we see here that it was used as a way to get him to repent. A lot of people in the religious world, though, get upset when fear is used as a way to impress upon people their need to be submissive to God. Right. Sometimes they will say, well, you know, you're trying to scare me, you know, and want you to change uh, the tone of your voice or what you're saying because they want to say that you're just trying to scare me. But, you know, that's just so typical of mankind. And I've run into it a number of times where that uh, you would go to a person, try to explain to them their their way. And and uh, the first reaction, the first reaction without a doubt and so many of those cases was, well, how about you? Are you living a perfect life? And want to have some kind of justification for it, where we see Simon the saucer was not so. It seems as though that uh, all indication of the Scripture that he accepted what Peter said and said, pray for me. Yeah, Proverbs 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction, Dad. So again, that's tied up with this idea of repentance. A fool would despise that instruction from God, but someone who is wise would have the fear of God that uh, would requ- would require them to be uh, repentant of their sins because they don't want to fall into the hands uh, of God in, in the day of judgment. Well, just like Arthur said, though, there's very very often it is the case that people say, "Well, what about you?" or or they try to name someone else that they they may know of that's involved in sin or maybe done worse things than they've done. But that that's not repentance. That that doesn't accomplish true repentance, and we can't do that. That's a terrible attitude to have. It it really shouldn't make any difference. Now I know you should go to someone in a very tactful, uh, considerate manner. But if you went to someone in the wrong fashion. They should be willing to listen to you because of your love for them and concern for them is for the reason that you come to them and be willing to hear it out and uh, make correction if need be. We'll take a last break, and during that break, we'd like for you to join in on the discussion about repentance. Is it required in order to be pleasing to God, and what are some things about it that are difficult? We need to talk about that, Dad, before the program is over. You know, repentance is going to be sacrificial on our part. It's going to require some things that aren't pleasant. And we'll talk about that before the program's over, hopefully, and we look forward to hearing from you. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said, or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931-381-4567. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. Hello, my name is Preston Jackson. I'm from Valdosta, Georgia, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study on Thursday night. Quit checking your email. The commercials are over, and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. But you can't, but you can't hit the send button on that email, so we're look, hoping for, to hear from you on the email, questions at collegeview.com or 877-381-4567. As you said, Jacob, remember, that's a 
new toll-free number. It's the same number. Uh, just change the area code to a toll-free 877-381-4567. We'd love to have you uh, give us a call and try out our new toll-free number. We're talking about repentance tonight and what's involved in it. We've talked about some of the mistaken concepts and some of the things that are necessary in cases of true repentance. We, we need to maybe go back to something we said earlier, that repentance is not just being sorry for sin, but it, it definitely includes sorrow for sin. I'm thinking of the example of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, beginning verse 17. And when he came to himself, the prodigal son said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. You know, he got to the point where he was in such miserable shape. He was really sorry for what he had done. He's sorry for the condition that he found himself in, and he made a plan to go back to his father's house. But, you know, he had to get to that depths of, of, uh, of depravity, uh, that, that led him to say, you know, this is miserable. I'm miserable. This, I'm sorry for where I am and what I've done. And I'm going to go back to my father and ask him to forgive me. But he had to get to that point. And so there is, there is this aspect of sorrow, godly sorrow that leads to repentance, as you read there in Second Corinthians, Arthur. What is it? Second Corinthians chapter seven. Second, Second Corinthians chapter uh, two, isn't it? No, oh seven. Second Corinthians seven. Yeah, Before verse ten. God for godly sorrow yeah. worketh repentance, yeah, salvation right. not to be repented of, but exactly. sorrow of the world worketh death. So sorrow has to be included in it, Dad. We can't. Uh, we're not going to repent unless we're sorry for yeah. what we've done. I was thinking. The reason I was thinking, chapter yeah. two. He, he mentions that fella in chapter two. Second Corinthians chapter two. He mentions the fella who had been referenced in the first Corinthians chapter five. And he says that, uh, that he wanted them to extend their love to him in case that he would not be swallowed up with over much sorrow. So sorrow was a part of the thing, but it, it's got to lead to more. And you know, too, I don't know what you mentioned it earlier. Sometimes I'm thinking and not listening, maybe what you're saying, but you know, Acts uh, 17 and verse 30, uh, there he says, and at the time of the ignorance, God winked at, but now, commands all men everywhere to repent. So it's not only, uh, you know, something we should do on our own, but it's something that's commanded of God that all should repent. You know, there's a, I've got an example in Isaiah 22 of some people who weren't sorry. They were sinning and they, they weren't sorry for it. Isaiah 22, beginning verse 12 from the New American Standard Version, says, Therefore, in the day the Lord God of hosts called you to weeping, to wailing, to shaving the head, and to wearing sackcloth, instead there's gaiety and gladness, killing of cattle, slaughtering of sheep, eating of meat, and drinking wine. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we may die. But the Lord of hosts revealed himself and said, Surely this iniquity shall not be forgiven you until you die, says the Lord God of hosts. In other words, God had called them to repentance. Notice he says, I called you to weeping and wailing, to shaving the head and wearing sackcloth. But instead, there's gaiety and gladness and slaughtering of animals and eating of meat. In other words, he called them to sorrow and they weren't sorry. And so he said, I'm not going to forgive you because they didn't have that godly sorrow that would lead them to repent. All right, 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. So we have to have this sorrow, Dad. That sorrow, though, is more than just being sorry for our sins. That sorrow promotes and provokes action on our part, and that is turning from our sin 
And without that turning, we won't be acceptable to God. Um, I think that's exactly right. You know, we've got another example from the Old Testament of a fellow who we, we were talking earlier about Simon the Sorcerer had no hesitance to um, to acknowledge that he'd done wrong. King David is another one like that in Second Samuel chapter 12. You're, we remember the horrible incident where he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, uh, ultimately had Bathsheba's husband murdered so that he could take her to wife. And when Nathan the prophet came to David, Second Kings, Second uh, Samuel chapter twelve verse seven, David, thou art the man. Uh, wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do this evil in His sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. You know, David had the power to say, "Grab that man right there and take him out and execute him." But but instead he. I think so impressive. One of the great Bible stories, David simply said, I have sinned against the Lord. He didn't argue. He didn't try to tone it down. He didn't try to rename the sin. He didn't try to justify his actions. He simply acknowledged that he has sinned. And when we have this heart of repentance, we're not going to hesitate to confess our sins. We're not going to try to make it sound less serious than it is. We're going to humbly acknowledge what we've done. And Greg, too, you know, what you just touched on there a little bit. Uh, he being king, and like you said, he could just have him snatched up and hung or whatever. And when he didn't do that, that told you right there the heart of David. That's right. And, he, and his heart is really expressed when he wrote in the Psalms. Psalm 51 is usually, uh, most commentators think he wrote it in reference to his sin with Bathsheba. He said in Psalm 51, verses 2 and 3, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. And so he had a good, he had the right heart. And we have to have the heart of David if we're going to repent of our sins and, and obtain forgiveness from God. You know, it's humility that is required there. And you know, Dad, a lot of times we're hesitant to admit that we're wrong and that we've that we've sinned. But there's really no reason to be hesitant. Uh, it's no surprise to me if uh, Arthur, if you tell me that you've sinned, you've done something uh, that's that's wrong. That shouldn't be any surprise to me. I know that you're human, and we're all going to make mistakes. And so we should be humble enough to accept that 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 fact. And really, you know, when you look at that and think about that, you know, we should, with open arm, give them a big hug. And just tell them how thankful you are, you know, that they were concerned enough about your soul to point it out to you. After all, what are we here for? We're to glorify God and look forward to going to heaven. And we have to work together to try to help one another to do what's right and so we can have heaven one day. And you was talking about humility uh, too, Jacob. I was thinking about the verse in Proverbs 18 and uh, verse uh, uh, 12. He said, before the destruction the heart of man is haughty and before honor is humility so if you want to be honored you better first have humility excellent point jacob you mentioned earlier that there's going to be some things we're going to have to do is maybe some sacrifices things to give up changes to be made in our lives if we really have repented of our sins and i think this goes to and maybe the last point we need to end the program on the idea of the fruits of repentance in Luke chapter 3, beginning verse 8, it says, Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. Uh, and and so uh, 
this was the teaching. And it says, Then came also publicans to be baptized and said, What shall we do? And he said to them, Exact no more than that which is appointed to you. And soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, What shall we do? And he said, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely. Now notice, they were told to repent and bring forth fruits of repentance. Well, for the publicans who were the tax collectors who were very corrupt and who, who would overcharge and, and anything that they could overcharge in taxes, they could line their own pockets with that profit. And so they were always guilty or very typically guilty of overcharging people on their taxes to their own profit. And so if they were going to repent, the manifestation of that would be exact no more than that which is appointed to you. In other words, don't be overcharging taxes and, and, and line in your own pockets. The soldiers were often guilty of, of doing violence to people, of falsely accusing people. And so if they were going to repent, the fruits of their repentance would be in the fact that they would not do unfair violence to people, would not be falsely accusing people. You see that the fruits of repentance, so, so you repent in your heart. The repentance is, takes place in the heart. You change your heart, and then you change your life. You, you bring forth the fruits of repentance. Yeah, you know, a lot of times we'd like to say that we repent and then continue to go on like we're living. But, Dad, we talk about all of the fruits that you have to bear of repentance. You're going to have to do some things, and some things that may be extreme. We may have to do a, we might have to change a lot in our lives. Things that may be comfortable to us, we may have to change. And, too, um, when you were talking about uh, some things, you were talking about that, Greg, he, he says in uh, uh, Matthew 7 and verse 16, Ye shall know them by their fruits. And also in verse uh, 20, he said, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So you can tell uh, so much about it as to whether that man is repented or a person is repented by the fruits that they bear. You know, maybe one of the, the great simple examples of repentance is in Matthew chapter 21, beginning verse 28. Jesus said, What think ye? A certain man had two sons. He came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whither of them twain did the will of the Father? Well, it's, it's very simple to see the point Jesus was making. But notice, the first son said, I'm not going. I'm not going to go work in the vineyard. But afterward he repented. When he repented, what did he do? He went and did as he had been told. And so that's an example of repentance. When we repent, then our repentance is seen in what we do. And if we repent of our sins, I mean, name the sin. The, if I'm a drunk, I stop drinking. If I'm a thief, I, I stop stealing. If, if I'm one bad to curse and swear, I stop using those bad words. If I'm a liar, I stop lying. Uh, you know, repentance means I stop committing the sin. If I'm if I'm guilty of adultery, you know, for instance, an example, this would be by marriage, divorce, remarriage issue that we've talked about on the program. If I'm in an unscriptural marriage, I'm sinning, I'm committing the sin of adultery that Jesus identified in Matthew chapter 19, verse 9. If I'm going to repent, then that means I've got to stop committing the sin. I can't repent and continue in the sin. And so I stopped sinning. You know, in Ezra chapter 10, there's a great example of people doing that. They had taken strange women. They weren't supposed to have those wives. And what did they have to do in order to repent like God wanted them to repent? They put them away. They put them away. And so when we talk about repentance, that's the sacrifice that we're talking about. We may have to make an extreme sacrifice in order to, to repent as we should 
but it's required in order to be pleasing to God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, Paul said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Notice, among the Corinthians, some of them had been drunkards. What they have to do? They had to stop drinking. Some of them had been thieves. What they had to do? They had to stop thieving. Some of them had been idolaters. What they had to do? They had to stop worshiping the idol. Some of them had been adulterers. What they had to do? They had to stop committing adultery. And for the, and that's a powerful passage that shows that we've got. First of all, it shows you got to quit your sins. You got to you got to turn from your sins. You got to repent to be saved. But it also shows that all sins, including adultery, requires you've got to get out of the adulterous relationship in order to be forgiven. All right. Well, that puts an end to our program tonight. A good discussion about repentance is required clearly to be pleasing to God. If we do not repent, we'll all likewise perish. Luke 13, verse 3. Arthur, thank you for taking time to join us tonight. Enjoyed it. Thank you. Dad, thank you. We enjoyed the virtual Bible study. We encourage everybody to make it a regular Thursday appointment. Be with us on Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Tell other people about it, too. Spread the word as we build a listening audience for this online Bible study. Mark your calendars to be back here next week for another edition of the virtual Bible study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study his inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.